0: Well, welcome and good morning to Faithbrook Church. It is so good to be with you today, whether you're on site, online, or you're checking us out later on demand. I want to warmly welcome you. My name is Brendan Brent. I'm the pastor of student ministries here at Faithbrook Church, and it is so good to be with you today. If you are a first time guest, or if this is your first time in a long time, I want to especially welcome you to Faithbrook. I'm so glad that you are here with us. If you wouldn't mind going, if you're here on campus, into the seat back in front of you and pulling out a connection card, or if you're online, going to faithbrook.church forward guest and filling out just a little bit of information so we can get in contact with you and help you get connected here at Faithbrook. One of our staff members will be reaching out to you to get to know you a bit more. For every connection card that we receive, whether it's physical or online, we will be donating $5 to Cross Food Shelf to help local missions. And we love when we have new people and we love being able to serve our community. Well, here at Faithburg Church, our vision is to lead people to new and thriving life in Christ. We wouldn't be able to do this vision without your generosity. And during the month of December is where we receive the largest portion of our budget for the entire year. And I just wanna thank you from myself and the rest of the staff for giving so well. Your amazing generosity allows us to continue into the new year with confidence that we can go and advance the vision in Maple Grove and beyond. If you want to partner with us here at Faithbrook to advance our mission and vision, if you're here in person, one way that you could do that is giving your donation in our black giving boxes that are throughout our building. However, the best way to go about and do this is through the Church Center app where you'll go to the giving section of the app and it'll walk you right through giving either at one time or a reoccurring donation. And I wanna thank you if you wanna step in and partner with us in this way. It's because of you that we are able to achieve the vision and mission here at Faithbrook and see lives transformed for Jesus. Well, now I'm going to invite our Connections Pastor, Mike Delgado to the platform as we wrap up our series, First Things First.
1: Well, I happen to be 100% Italian. In fact, I am the last of my generation that is full-blooded Italian. Not that that really matters, but I have uh, one of my favorite heist movies is called The Italian Job. Now, the movie really doesn't have anything to do with Italians, but for the first 15 minutes, the movie does take place in Venice. And the whole movie is about a team of uh, thieves who get together and they steal millions and millions and millions worth of gold bars from a safe in Venice and they make their way out. Well, on their escape, as they're making away with the loot, they're on this bridge that's covered with snow, and they get stopped about halfway through. And it come to find out, one of the team members turns on the rest of the team. And in fact, out of the, these two vans that pull up, uh, other people come out, and they take the gold bars, they drive off, and before they drive off, they shoot at and attempt to take the lives of the team members. And in fact, one of them, the leader, ends up dying. So the rest of the movie is all about this team coming together, seeking out their revenge. And who doesn't like a good revenge story? When we hear of a wrongdoing, we typically side with the victim and we cheer on their plot to get revenge. Even when we get wrong, we spend time and energy plotting how we're going to get back at that person. But to what end? Getting revenge doesn't always pay off. In fact, sometimes it backfires and it never seems to make things right. And sometimes it can even escalate the situation and make things even worse than what it was before. And most of the time, we find that revenge leaves us unfulfilled, unsatisfied, and wanting more. Have you ever found yourself taking revenge? Well, today we're going to explore a better way. Well, welcome back to Faithbrook Church. It is so good that we can worship together here on site. Those of you joining in online and even watching later on demand as well. Well, today we wrap up our series called First Things First, and this is all about how to fulfill our purpose. And we find that when we don't know or don't have our purpose, we find ourselves living an unfulfilled life. Now, this is because we find ourselves living our lives through our various lenses which are shaped to different circumstances this can be our life experiences this can be the people that we surround ourselves with and even the culture in which we live and the lenses that we have really do affect how we see the world around us and in course set how we live and what we find is is how we see affects how we live and the only way the only way to change how we can see is through having a godly purpose in our lives well, thank goodness because God does have a general purpose for every one of us to give us a new perspective to really shape the, our lives and everything that we do despite our circumstances. And we've been talking more about a general purpose specifically because we're not going into talking about what God's specific purpose is for us, namely what maybe his calling is on for your life or anything like that. We're instead talking about the basics and really talking about what God's general purpose is for each and every one of us to live out the purpose to have a fulfilling life. Now, one of the places in Scripture or the Bible that we find this purpose is found in Romans chapter 12. And Romans is a letter written to a bunch of new Christians in Rome. And like you and me, they don't have much of a history with being Jewish or even know much about what Judaism is other than maybe what the culture and news told them around them. And so he writes this letter to these new Christians in Rome to give them a basis of theology, basic of who God is. What is sin? And even who Christ is and what he has done on the cross. Now, Paul writes this in about 11 chapters, and he comes to the 12th chapter, and he realizes that having a theology, having head knowledge is not enough. In fact, we need something else. We need to have a general purpose. We need to be able to take the theology that we have and be able to take that and live it out in everyday life. And he wanted to explain then what it is to have a purpose. What is the purpose then for us in our everyday living? And so as he comes to chapter 12, he then says, okay, here's here's a few things. I'm going to write out a few things for you, and if you do these few things, this is what he writes. He says, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. He saying if you do these few things, then you will know what God's purpose and will for your life is. And for our series, this has kind of shaped everything we've been talking about the last couple of weeks. And what we have found is that when we're able to put first things first, we fulfill our purpose. When we're able to put first things first, we fulfill our purpose. And when we have a purpose, it really does renew our perspective, and that changes the way we see, which in fact changes the way we live. And we, when that happens, we act, we think differently, and everything we do has a different purpose in our life. And that's why it's so important to have first things first, because living out our purpose really does affect everything that we do. Well, the first week, we talked about that fulfilling our purpose starts with loving God holistically, that every part of our life, we are to love God and everything. In fact, we found that our faith isn't a thing, it's the thing. Then we talked about how love isn't love if it isn't real, that we are to have unconditional love for everyone, even the difficult people in our lives. And then last week, we talked about how God wants to use what he's given us, that God has each gifted us uniquely and has given us different gifts that we are to use those to be a blessing to those around us. Now today, we're going to talk about the last component of living out our purpose that Paul lays out for us. And uh, this is going to be more addressing about our everyday living, specifically in our relationships with one another. Really our everyday conduct in our relationships. Now, as we think about our relationships, we tend to think of them as, uh, they they tend to think of them mutually, meaning this. They tend to be tit for tat. So when someone does something good to us, we think about how we can pay them back. And when someone does something bad to us, they wrong us, well, we really think about how we can pay them back. And what we're going to find today is that we're going to be challenged in living this tit-for-tat lifestyle in our relationships. And not only are we going to be challenged in that, but we're also going to see that there really is a better, more fulfilling way. So we're going to continue in Romans chapter 12. And I'm going to encourage you, if you have a physical Bible, you can open that up. Or you can open up the Bible app on your mobile device. If you don't have the YouVersion Bible app, I highly want to encourage you to download that from your app store. It is awesome to be able to have your Bible with you wherever you go. And it also has a lot of great plans and whatnot. I use it every day. It is incredible. It is a really great resource. Well, so Paul, Paul writes to encourage these Christians in Rome. And what he does is as he's writing to them, he's really given this fourth and final component, which really, in a lot of ways, lays out the rest of the letter. And he really wants to battle this living for tit for tat. And... Before he really goes in to tell us what that is, he gives us a couple secrets about relationships and whatnot. He gives us two little secrets that will give us a little light on what he's going to get to his main point. And the first he has uh, starts in verse 16. He says this. He says, live in harmony with one another. Live in harmony with one another. Now, first, I want to point out this word, one another. Now, what this is, is as he's speaking to these Christians in Rome, he's talking to them in the sense of one another in their church context. So the local church, they are to be in harmony with one another in their church. Now, as we think about harmony, harmony is really interesting. For those who may have parents who grew up in the 60s, harmony can bring up many different pictures. For those of us who have been bored many decades later, harmony can have uh, different images in our mind as well. But really, when we think musically, harmony, harmony is something that can be a a very beautiful thing. You see, harmony is having multiple musical notes playing together at the same time to a pleasing effect. In fact, it's these notes that work together that form chords. And uh, that's what uh, makes uh, a chord is when you have multiple notes that work together. And likewise, what Paul is saying is that we are different uh, notes playing together for a pleasing effect. And we are to live that way together. And so Paul's pointing out that God desires for us to be in sync. He's saying that we are to be living in harmony together. In all things, we are to be in sync with one another. Well, as you can imagine, just like in that day, it could be pretty tough to live up to that kind of of desire that God has for us because we can't control other people in the relationships. We can't control what people do to us, and there's always going to be strife. There's always going to be something that comes up uh, for conflict. And that's where the tension comes in. The tension comes in with maybe uh, arguments. Maybe there's quarrels that we have. Maybe there's misunderstandings. And when we have that wrong note or that uh, tension of dissonance, we know something's off. And what happens is, is that's where the issues come in. Now, I know most of us, uh, we may or may not have musical talents. And whether we have talents or not, when we hear music being played, if it's right, we go, oh, that sounds good or whatnot. But when that wrong note's played, you may not know what or exactly why, but you just go, ooh, that's not right. And the funny thing is, is when you hear a uh, wrong note played, you look up, you pay attention, you go, okay, where'd that come from? Because that was not right. And I think in a lot of time in our relationships, what happens is when something comes up, when there's a tension that comes up in our relationship, we tend to look up and we point the finger and we go, ooh, that's not right, and we point the blame. And I think the flip, side, flip of that happens as well is when we are the cause of the tension and we're the one who's causing the wrong note or the dissonance, then we still point the finger because it's the other person's fault, not ours, right? But instead, Paul is challenging them instead to say, no, no, no. Instead, we're to be in sync with one another. And so a question we can ask ourselves is, do we really strive? Do we really strive to be in sync with others in all that we do? Now, as I mentioned, that despite God's desire for us for, uh, to be in sync, there is going to be tension. There is going to be things that happen. There is going to be things that come up, and that's going to cause us to respond. Especially when something happens to us, we're going to respond in such a way. And Paul speaks to how we were to respond to the tension. And he says this in verse 17. He says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Now, notice that word anyone is different than the word one another. Now, anyone, he's now broadening who he's saying to talking to. He's not just now talking about the local church community. In fact, he's broadening the scope of people who it is. And it's not just those in the church, but anyone that you may come in contact with. And he says, don't repay anyone, evil for evil. In fact, he's saying, when you are wronged, you are not to retaliate. You see, he's saying that a wrong is not corrected by another wrong. And when something, someone does something bad to us, our reaction should not be to get retribution. And what Paul is doing is he's bringing a truth to light for his listeners and even for us today. And the truth is this, is that we often default to payback instead of peace. We often default to payback instead of peace. You see, our sinful nature really desires payback. And we tend to lead toward wanting uh, to reciprocate what has been done to us. And you see, a lot of times there's a cycle that happens where we're, we're looking for payback. You see, something, something good happens, we look for payback. Something bad happens, we look for payback. And, we, and what ends up happening is these cycles of hurt end up happening, and we get caught up in wanting to get retribution, you know, maybe, maybe there's this, uh, with our spouse, or maybe with a family member, someone says something mean, and we just fire a comment right back, equally as mean, or maybe even meaner. Maybe we're driving on the highway, and someone cuts us off, and we want to let them know with a one-handed gesture what their IQ is. We want to make sure they know how they wronged us. So when someone wrongs you, do you seek payback? And Paul is, again, pointing out, Our sinful nature is one that just desires for reciprocation. But good news is that Paul recognizes this, and he wants to give us a good point on how we are to break out of the cycle and how we can actually strive to live out God's idea for harmony. And he says this in verse 18. He says, If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. He says, "If it's if it's possible, even even Paul knows this is a tall order. This is this is a this is a big uh, complication. It's hard. It's hard to do. But he says, if at all possible, we are to uh, we are to be at peace. And he knows. He knows we cannot encounter. Uh, we cannot control the situations that we encounter." And he says, as far as it depends on you, and this word depends is a really neat word because it talks about labor, it's this idea of laboring or striving for that as if it's all possible, we are to labor. We are to really work hard. We we are to to really grind it out, really work hard. And he says this to live at peace with everyone. Recognize that word everyone again. It's not just live at peace with those in your church, it's not just live at peace with those who are your friends. It's not just live at peace with those of your family. In fact, he's saying anyone you encounter, you are to live at peace. Now, peace is such a, a fascinating, such a rich, such a full word. And it's, a, it's a really expansive. And it's the Greek word there is not the actual Hebrew, but it points to a Hebrew word. And it's this word, shalom. And shalom is such a beautiful word because what it means is it means to be whole. It means to be safe. It means even to be restored. If something was broken, it means to be restored. I and mean, Even it's this idea of making peace between two parties or even in sometimes that, in the Hebrew's context, even to make restoration between two countries. And so what Paul is saying is that it might be impossible due to others' actions towards us, but as far as your concern, let it not be your fault that whatever you could do at your power, you are to live at peace with everyone. And so what he's saying is that despite what others do, peace begins with you. Despite what others do, peace begins with you. You see, peaceful living isn't dependent on what others' actions are. In fact, it has to start with us. It has to start with ourselves. Now, In this context, we realize that we may not have mortal enemies. We may not have people actually coming after our lives, trying to take our life from us. But we do have situations, and we do have difficult people that are in our lives. You know, maybe there's situations that we have. Maybe we get accused for something that we didn't actually do. We may even encounter, and we may even have difficult people in our lives who just bring up tensions and make things really hard. But even when we get hurt, even, when our, uh, even with that, and something wrong has happened to us, our reaction is to uh, not get revenge. It shouldn't be to get revenge, but it should be to make peace. Because God's purpose for us is to live in a way that reflects Him, being a peacemaker. You see, the crazy thing is that God has made, made peace with us. You see, we, we have had tension with Him. Our relationship with Him has been broken and yet God took the first steps to make peace with us. And in the same light, we are to do the same thing. We are to be peacemakers as he is a peacemaker. Now, as we think about this, we, we think, man, that's, that sounds great. It sounds lofty. But what about what about those situations where someone really wrongs us? I mean, they really do something. They intentionally come out and they wrong us. We can get revenge then, right? Can't we, can't we get revenge? Well, Paul anticipates this. He anticipates this, that they would have this question. So this is what he says to anticipate this. He says, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath for it is written. It is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. You see, Paul, Paul right away says it's not on us to revenge ourselves. In fact, that's not going to help getting peace. It's not going to actually make things right. It's not going to do what you think it's going to do. It's just going to make things worse. Now, that, that word here is saying to leave room. It's a pretty cool picture because what it, what it means is there's a situation, there's a conflict that happens, and he's saying that we are to leave room, to step aside, step away from the, the situation. Now, here in the passage, he's not talking metaphorically. He's talking, or He's talking metaphorically, not physically doing this. But I think sometimes... Sometimes not only do we need to metaphorically step away, sometimes we do need to physically step away from the situation. Sometimes when something happens and conflict arises, we need to step away. We need to leave room. We we shouldn't be the ones to fill the gap. We're not the ones to step in and take revenge. We need to trust that God is going to take care of that himself and trust that he's going to do what what he says he's going to do. Revenge is not our role. And instead of revenge... Paul says this, he gives an alternative, and he writes this in verse 20. He says, On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. And in doing this, you will heat burning coals on his head. Now, this is in quotes because he is pulling this from the Old Testament, from the book of Proverbs, uh, chapter 25, and book of Proverbs was written by King Solomon, the second wisest man after Jesus ever to live and walk on the earth. And he writes these Proverbs as wise sayings, and he wanted to pass them on to his, uh, his kids. And uh, we also get to uh, glean off these, uh, these wise sayings as well. And what he's saying is that we shouldn't just retaliate uh, evil for evil. In fact, in that day, it was uh, written that for for Jewish living, that if uh, there's a saying that there could be an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth, and the idea was that if someone took out your eye, you can get retribution and take their eye as well. If someone uh, punched you and took out a tooth, well, you had full right to go back and punch them and take their tooth as well. Well, the saying is kind of uh, butting up against that a little bit and saying, well, is this really the way we should go? Is this really going to bring peace? Is this really going to make amends in the situation? Even Jesus talks about this on his Sermon on the Mount as well, and he says as well not to pursue eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, but instead pursue peace. Now, in doing this, it says you will heap burning coals on someone's head. So does that really mean we're to take burning coals and dump them on someone's head? Well, I heard of a story where there was a woman who had some quarrels, had some tensions with her husband, so she went to someone for advice. And that person asked her, she says, well, have you heaped burning coals on his head? To which she replied, no, but I took a piping hot skillet with some grease instead. Now this is a, obviously a metaphor, and we don't really use it in today, uh, today's context, we don't say it, but the metaphor was, was this, that you would take these uh, burning coals, and what you would do is you would take metals, and you would put them in the coals, and what would happen is the metal would get so hot that the impurities would race to the top, and you'd be able to scoop it off and get rid of it, and be able to uh, take it away, and you would do this process over and over and over again until you were left with just the pure precious metal. Now, likewise, what he is saying is that when someone wrongs us, we are to love on them with an intense, white-hot heat. We are to love on them so well. In fact, instead of taking revenge, we should love on our enemies. And what that will do is that it will actually uh, diffuse the situation. It will actually melt away the tension. And so, no matter what happens to us, we are to seek peace in our relationship because despite what others do, peace starts with you. So the obvious question is, okay, how do we actually live this out? What does this look like? How, how are we actually going to live out peace with others? Even when they do things to us, how can we be peaceful in those situations? We have tensions. They come up. And even Paul uh, understands this. And so he concludes the chapter with, with this and some advice to helping, helping them live this out. And this is what he writes in verse 21. He says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So then, what he's saying is that you were to conquer your enemies with kindness, with patience. Maybe we've heard the term kill them with kindness. Well, that's kind of what he's getting at here: that no matter what happens, no matter what things people may do to us, we are our response is to kill them with kindness. We are not to seek revenge, which could cause war. Instead, a response should be seeking peaceful living. Now, a couple of thoughts of how we can actually overcome evil with good in our everyday life. Uh, first one comes from uh, Matthew 7. This is Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount, which I talked about a little bit earlier. And this is his most famous sermon. And in this, he addresses a lot of different uh, ways for godly living. And this is what he writes, this is what, or this is what Jesus says. He says, in everything, do to others as you would have them do to you, for this is the law and the prophets. In everything, in everything that you do, not just some things, not just some times, not when you feel like it, or not when most, what's most convenient for you. He says, in everything you are to do to others as you would have them do to you. Maybe we've heard of the golden rule. This is where it comes from, that we would uh, do unto others what uh, we wish to be done for them. And so again, here's the others. right? This is not just one another in, in, within the church context. This is others. This is everyone, anyone that we may come in contact with. And so the first, the first thought for this first insight is this, is to, that we are to be a source of goodness for others. We are to be a source of goodness for others. You see, a way to overcome evil with good is to live out the golden rule with everyone we come in contact with. In fact, our, uh, one commentator says this, that we are to desire for others what you would wish for yourself. And what, this, what he's really getting at here is that we should be proactive instead of reactive. That we should love on other people, be a source of goodness for others, even before the negative or uh, tension situations come up. And so in the way we conduct ourselves, are we looking to the well-being for others? Are we really striving for harmony? And the second insight comes from verse 17. Now, this is on the second half. He says, do not repay evil for evil. And he says this. He says, but instead, be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Now, let be careful. It really should be translated provide, but that wouldn't make much sense in today's age. But what, what provide really means is to see beforehand or to, to foresee or even to think of beforehand. And not only uh, the things that are right, but this is the, not just what's right in our eyes, but also what's right in others. And so the insight is this, is that we should pause before we respond. We should pause before we respond. You see, this idea of uh, being mindful, provide, is this idea of uh, thinking before you act. You see, sometimes what happens is a situation happens and we immediately want to respond. But I think what we find is when we immediately react to a situation or to people, we tend to make poor choices. And what ends up happening is we do what's right, what we think in our eyes, but we're not considering what is actually good and beneficial for the person that we're reacting to. And so, what happens is that our responses really do come with consequences. And sometimes, what happens is we do bad instead of doing good for others. So, when you are wronged, are you mindful of how you will respond? When your spouse or kids or family member lashes out at you, do you pause? When you are on the highway and you get cut off, do you pause? You see, when we pause before we respond and when we're a source of good for others, we really do begin to live our lives in a way that initiates peace with others, and we end up fulfilling our purpose to, and find ourselves living a more fulfilled life. Now, I realize as we think about this and we think about how we're going to apply it to our lives, and even as we think about leaving today and living this out and uh, being more peaceful people, it really can be challenging. It really can be hard, and I'm not even saying we could do it with the snap of our fingers, but we can, we can take steps in uh, living this out in our daily lives. So here's a challenge for us that I think would be good for all of us to be thinking about as we, are, uh, as we are here and as we get ready to leave. So ask yourself this question, who do you need to initiate peace with? Who do you need to initiate peace with? You know, maybe, maybe there is a relationship in your life. Maybe there's someone who is causing tension. And maybe how you've, how you've been responding is one of retaliation. Maybe you've said snide comments. Maybe you've said rude remarks. Maybe it was a passive-aggressive action. And to think about, okay, what would it look like the next time it happens to actually initiate peace with them, to pause, and to actually be a, good, uh, be a source of goodness? You know, maybe, maybe you need to seek peace with God. Maybe, maybe you're at odds with him. I don't know, maybe where you're at, maybe you have tension with God, maybe you're mad at him, or maybe you're even at a place where you've never said yes to, yes to him and accepted his loving kindness and goodness. Maybe you never said yes to following him. Well, in just a moment, we will have that opportunity. Now, as God calls us to live a peaceful life, one that ultimately leads to a fulfilling life, we see this kind of lifestyle modeled by Jesus. In fact, on the evening as he was betrayed, he took three of his closest friends, his closest disciples, to him to a place called the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. And he spent hours there praying, grieving, because he knew of what was to come. And he was praying, asking God that that God may pass pass over the things that were to happen to him. But instead, he says, no, not my will, but your will be done. And after praying, another disciple shows up to the garden. And he just doesn't come alone. He comes with a horde of people from the community. And they're armed with swords and clubs. And this disciple walks up to Jesus and outs him. Now, Peter, who's one of the close three, was standing by and out of wanting to protect Jesus and out of wanting to keep him from getting arrested, he pulls out his sword and cuts off a guy's ear. And Jesus says, no, put your sword away. In fact, he picks up the guy's ear and heals him. Because Jesus knew what terrible events were to come to him, but even in that moment, he was seeking peace with his enemies. And not just the, the enemies in that moment, but he knew, he knew that what he was about to go through, that he would be making peace with humanity as well. He knew that his suffering on the, uh, on the cross and the beatings that he would endure would lead to repaired relationships with us. He knew that his death, his burial, his resurrection would mean that sin is defeated. And when we put our faith in Christ, have eternal life with him. You see, God has already initiated peace with us. You see, the role is reversed. We are the ones who have wronged God. We have been in that place. And instead, God has heaped coals on our head through Jesus Christ. Now maybe this is you, and you're sitting here, maybe you're here live with us, maybe you're online, maybe you're watching later, And if you recognize that maybe you need to take a step and you need to say yes to Christ, maybe this is your first time, maybe you need to make a recommitment. Let's go ahead and take a time to pray together. So I want to encourage us all to close our eyes. And again, if this is you, this is you that you, you do want to make amends and say yes to Christ, you can pray along with me and pray these words. Jesus, I admit that I am a a sinner. I admit that I have wronged you and there's, there's a chasm in our relationship. It's broken. And I come to you and I come to you seeing that you have already taken steps to initiate peace, that you have gone to the cross, that you have died and you were risen again so that I can have a new relationship with you. And I believe and confess this today. And as we live and as I go into my every day, may you pour your Holy Spirit upon me that I may live in such a way that pursues you every single day, that lives, in, that, lives that lives out of purpose that you have for me, that I can glorify you the rest of the days of my life and even looking towards having eternal life with you. I thank you and I praise you. And in Jesus' name, amen. Now, before we all open our eyes, I want to ask that you keep them closed. Now, for those of you who are online or maybe watching later on demand, there's a little button that would have popped up that says, I commit my life to Christ. I want to encourage you to go ahead and click on that and take the steps that follow. For those of you that are here, maybe you prayed that prayer along with me, I want to encourage you to reach in the seat back in front of you and grab the little red card. And if you would turn that over and fill out the information, and would you mark it and let let us know that you have either recommitted or have said yes to Christ for the first time. And you could take that card at the end of the service and you can drop it off into the giving boxes as you leave. Now the reason for this is because we want to celebrate with you. This is such an amazing moment in your life that you are taking steps to living out your your purpose for what Christ has for you, that that you are accepting the peace God has for you. And we want to celebrate with you. And not only celebrate, we want to walk with you and help you take these next steps as you are starting your journey with Christ. So at this time, we're going to together take communion so we can open our eyes. As you walked in, for those of you that are here, you should have received one of these. You can go ahead and pull those out right now. And now for those of us who have been following Christ for some time, or even those of you that maybe have, have uh, said yes, even today, we can take communion together. You see, a few hours before Jesus went to the garden, he met up in an upper room with all his disciples, and he was instituting the Last Supper or communion. Because what the events that were about to happen were going to change the world forever, and so he took the simple elements of bread and wine, everyday meal items, and he took those and he said, "Whenever you get together, you are to eat these in remembrance of me." So at this time, what we can do is we can open up the bread side of your little cup and you take out the bread. And Jesus said this he took the he took the bread and he said this This is my body which is broken for you Eat this in remembrance of me We can eat together and We can flip it over and carefully open up the juice side And then he took the cup and he said, this this cup is poured out. This is my blood poured out for you. Let's take this and drink together. And we do this in remembrance of Christ together. No matter if we're here together on site, even online, even watching later, we do this as a body in remembrance of Jesus, let us pray together. Jesus, we just want to say thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for going through the suffering and pain and for dying a death which you didn't even deserve in our place so that we could be reconciled with you. And in turn, we look forward to having eternal life with you. But until then, we're here. And we ask that your spirit empowers us, that your spirit reminds us that in everything that we do as we live everyday lives, that we can live in such a way that glorifies you. So we thank you and we praise you. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, aren't we grateful that God chose peace, not revenge? And we are to take that with our everyday lives. That as God has shown us peace, that we are to reciprocate that with others. That instead of revenge, we are to respond to our challenges differently. Because despite what others do, peace starts with you. And if you could just think about the different relationships you have in your life, think about the different people that you encounter on an everyday basis. If you were to take steps to having peacefulness with those relationships, how different could you imagine those relationships being? That despite whatever people did to you, that you would respond differently, that you would respond in a better way. I bet you that when we start to take these steps that we would have a more fulfilled life because it wouldn't be dependent on what other people are doing in and around us that despite our circumstances, we are living in such a way that leads to fulfillment and in the way that God calls us to live. Because that is what happens when we put first things first. And when we put first things first, our lives are fulfilled because we fulfill our purpose. And that gives us a new perspective and that changes the way we live. Well, as we go today, I want to say thank you so much for being here and joining in on this series. And I want to encourage you to come back next week as Pastor Jim will be back. You won't have to hear me anymore for some time, and you can hear from him. And come back for next week for Vision Sunday as we talk about what vision God has for us as we live out. Well, thank you for joining in and worshiping together. I look forward to seeing you. God bless.